who has the power in America to really make things happen? Is it the House of Representatives and the Senate? The White House? The Supreme Court? We the people? The states? <laughs> a shadow government? And when it comes to the power struggle in a representative democracy, things get a little complex, don't they? And there's no guarantee we'll end up with what is good, what is right, what is just. Uh, we, of course, have vivid imaginations of what happens in the halls of power and the influences, the shadowy figures that potentially make the decisions, right? That comes to mind. Um, in, in modern day Turkey, um, back then in, in the city of Ephesus in 52 AD, there was a power clash with some obviously shadowy figures from the spirit realm. And in Ephesus, they were more alert to the spiritual forces behind everyday decisions. Um, and we're about to encounter Jesus in the midst of this city. This is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Think about that, third largest, a center of power, magic power, political power, religious power. And Paul was at work declaring the authority of Jesus the Messiah. And also some very strange things were happening that must have felt a lot like magic because Yahweh was doing extraordinary things to point toward the message, this message of Jesus as Messiah. Let's get right to our text, Acts 19, 11 through 22. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles. I want to stop there. I would say, and maybe you would too, miracles are pretty outstanding. That's, that's, what, that's why we call them a miracle. But but these are unusual, even by miraculous standards, right? So if, if the Bible's saying extraordinary miracles, we should take note of that. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. And in other cases, spirit, evil spirits came out of them. Oh, that is unusual for sure. Was this just Paul doing magic tricks, maybe as expected in Ephesus? Well, was it even Paul doing the miracles? Well, the text is pretty clear. It was God doing the miracles through the hand of Paul, and nothing is off limits for him. That's why a fuller name for the book of Acts of the Apostles, which has been traditionally called, would be the Acts of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, which he then did through the hands of his apostles, right? Think about it. A sweat rag from Paul's leather workshop or his work apron would bring God's presence, his healing presence, to these sick or demon-possessed people or combinations of the both, and God would free them from their bondage to evil. See, Jesus wins that power encounter every time, in every way possible. Speaking of power, we've got another story stitched to this one. Let's, let's go on. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that's a job title, itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
Seven sons of a Jewish chief priest named Sceva were doing this. Now, whatever kind of priest Sceva is, and we have records that show he was not the high priest in Jerusalem, uh, there was this interesting mixture here. They're, they're using the name of Jesus. So we're not, we're not certain um, where to place these uh, people in, in, in the historical line of priests. But I can just imagine this group coming into Ephesus, trying to maybe be of some help. In my imagination, they have laminated ID cards on lanyards saying, Seven Sons Spiritual Pest Control. Or something like that. You know, they're offering their services. It seems like money would probably be involved in their process. Um, I can imagine the, the neighborhood Facebook page or the next door app blowing up with warnings and recommendations. These people are going door to door. You know, watch out for them. Or, hey, Joni, isn't your son possessed too? These guys have a special deal if we all sign up with them today. Well, anyway, that's my imagination at least. Itinerant Jewish exorcists. And the text indicates that they went into a house and came out of the house, so likely they were invited in. Yes, please come into our home to exercise this demon. And they use the phrase, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Well, that should work, right? I mean, there's power in the name of Jesus, right? Isn't that what we're saying? We know actually from archaeology of magical texts from this time that attempted to use the name of Jesus to ward off evil and sickness. These texts add proof that Jesus really was a miracle worker, right? And that even outside of Israel, from Egypt to Ephesus, uh, people were trying to harness this power. What do you think about that? Well, th these Jewish guys throw out the name Jesus in an exorcism, um, thinking that maybe that's the that's the that's the tool from their toolbox that's really going to work. But the power of Jesus doesn't fit in your toolbox. In fact, let's get this in our heads. When we say the power of Jesus, what we actually mean is the authority of Jesus. He has power because he has authority. Authority is up here. He is the one who gives us breath that holds our atoms together. He is in charge. So he can do whatever he wants. We call that power, but it's because he has authority over all things. Don't buy the lie that Jesus tapped into a power, and you can too. This is the Oprah nonsense of Christ consciousness. Oh, sounds like a great idea. No, they're saying that you can tap into the same power that Jesus did. What Jesus was became aware of, they would say, is that he, he was aware of his own divinity, and you can be too of your own divinity. No, this is ridiculous, right? This scene should remove that notion that God uses power or that Jesus uses power, obtains power, and that we can then use Jesus' power. You know, he has authority because Jesus is Lord. Okay, you don't have that authority, not unless he gives it to you. Hmm. So some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists uh, undertook to in invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish chief priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked 
and wounded. <laughs> that went off about as well as mishandled 4th of July fireworks, huh? So here's a power encounter where people use the name of Jesus and they end up being beaten, stripped, naked, ashamed. Well, so wait, did, did Jesus lose this one? This one battle between, did, is, that, is the score Jesus won, you know, with the handkerchiefs and aprons, but then dark powers won because of the, the sons of Siva that got beaten? Well, let's keep reading. And it says, and this event became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of Jesus, the name implying authority, the authority of Jesus was extolled or exalted, praised. Wow, wow. Jesus is Lord. Jesus did not lose this encounter, nor has he lost a power encounter, nor will he ever lose a power encounter because there is no match for Jesus' power because he has, what, all authority. These are not equal and opposite powers. This isn't a yin-yang situation. You have the creator of all things mastering spiritual beings that he created but who have been corrupted. Jesus is in charge of all these. The enemy has power but limited authority. He's on a leash. And even that authority, that power that a that a demon has, will be used to glorify God. At the end of that event, everybody says, wow, Jesus is Lord. He cannot be used. See that? In Ephesus, the center of magic, power, uh, political, is religious. The proof is out there now. Jesus and magic don't mix. <laughs> you don't set the good news next to your gurus on your spiritual shelf. It's like, oh, well, I got a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But how many of our friends, and we can confess of ourselves too, want a spiritual buffet with just a little bit of Jesus? Hold the spirit. I just want a little of this, a little of that. Mm, no, no, no. Tom Wright, as I was reading him, he references C.S. Lewis, um, saying that Lewis really helped him think about magic and define it. He says, magic attempts to gain the power without paying the price of humble submission to God whose power it is. Magic attempts to gain the power without paying the price of humble submission to the God whose power it is. Does that make sense? Jesus' power comes from what? His authority. And so it is with his disciples who humble themselves and submit to God's authority. You may remember back in the book of Acts where there were Jewish magicians, Samaritan magicians, uh, trying to get in on the Jesus' power. Simon Magus, uh, and Bar-Jesus in chapters 8 and 13, respectively. They, they wanted to put Jesus in their toolbox. And that ended poorly for them as well, leaving us a solid biblical testimony that Jesus will not be used. We need to, we need to sit with that. He will not be used. He's not a tool in your toolbox. He's the Lord of all. And, and last week, we talked about the, the security that God's people have when his presence is in their midst. If Yahweh is for us, who can be against us? If Yahweh is in the temple, there's nothing that can conquer us. If Yahweh leaves, however, you have no protection. And these seven sons, 
clearly show us they were not submitted to the authority of God, nor even humbled by the declaration that Jesus is Lord. They contrived their own spell, their incantation using Jesus' name, and are thoroughly beaten. Right? They, they try to claim the form without the substance. And the demons perceive that the temple has no presence and will be easily defeated. All seven of them. Mastered. Beaten. Stripped. Shamed. Disciple of Jesus, I ask you again. Are you submitted to the authority of Jesus and filled with his spirit? That's what it means to be saved, rescued, redeemed. Submitted to the authority of Jesus, filled with his spirit. The evil spirit, remember, answered them, Jesus I know, and, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Beaten, they, 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 they flee out of the house. And it says, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greek, and fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So what happens next? Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Huh. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. These are believers, and it's starting to make sense to them. Jesus and magic don't mix. He has all authority. Oh, what am I doing with all this stuff on my shelf, right? A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Right. Well, that's, a, that's an amazing amount of, of silver, but that's, that's a day's wage, 50,000 of those. So 137 years of daily wages. So forgetting the dollar amount of what silver costs, just think about the value now, looking at what the value would be for us today. Let's say a person was making 50000 a year. Uh, so 137 years worth of that would be $6.85 thinking in value for today. So it says, the word of the Lord increased, continued to increase, and prevail mightily. These are multipliers. Just, it was incredible, amazing work of God, the power that flowed out of these submitted, humbled, confessing Christians. Mm. Submitted, humble, confessing Christians. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to go through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. After having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So here in Ephesus, power central, God's power comes in and through and beyond with overwhelming effect. So I think, can we just sum up what we're learning? Okay, we, we learned that a handkerchief or apron that touched Paul was used to cast out demons, but these sons of the Jewish priest couldn't do it in the name of Jesus because they were not subject to his power under Jesus' authority. They had not humbled themselves before the power of God, so they would not experience the power of God. They experienced the power of evil. Remember, magic attempts to gain the power without paying the price, the price of humble submission to God, whose power it actually is. Magic tries to maintain the authority through spells and, and hidden words, hidden names. 
But discipleship submits to Jesus' authority, <laughs> the name under which we all live and have our being. So number one, let's just say power and authority flow from God. They flow from God through those who submit to his power and his authority with glory returning back to God. So it flows from God and it goes back to God. We don't use Jesus to get glory. Well, we must not use Jesus to gain glory. Jesus gave his disciples authority and submission to the Father to bring honor to the Father. Let's go back to John 5, 19 through 27. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever, seven sons of Siva, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All authority, power, flows from Jesus, returning in honor to the Father. Uh, number two, I think we've learned that Jesus and magic do not mix. Do not mix. Now, we're connected with Haiti because we, we support church planting and orphanage down there. Uh, and there's a saying in Haiti that, um, that Haiti is 70% Catholic, 30% Protestant, and 100% Voodoo. In 2003, the Haitian government formally recognized Voodoo as an official religion alongside other faiths. And precise statistics are hard to come by, they report, but it's commonly estimated that more than half of the Haitian population practices voodoo. Voodoo has roots in the most uh, in the religious traditions of West and Central Africa where most Haitian ancestors were born. And Haitian voodoo was born from the blending of Catholicism, Western and Central African spirituality. Voodoo developed in Haiti between the 16th and 19th centuries during the most brutal slave regimes the world has known. Many believe that the religion served as a form of resistance against the French colonial empire. And Haiti's been struggling since, <laughs> since 1800 when they had their revolution. And many blame the practices of voodoo and, uh, for its poverty and the darkness. And so Global Vision Citadel Ministry, uh, the, the ministry we're part of, has always been bringing light 
and the hope of Christ to the darkest parts of Haiti and break through the darkness of voodoo. It cannot mix. They're calling people out of darkness into light. And, and speaking of coming into light, number three, public confession is powerful. Public confession is powerful. Um, you know, in, at GVCM, they reported this, uh, and I'll read it to you, Job, a voodoo priest, is a young man who just moved to the area uh, where they are. For many years, Job had a feeling that something was crawling in his stomach, gave him excruciating pain. He'd gone to the doctor many times with no relief. Couldn't eat. Headaches were unbearable. But he heard about a revival going on and decided to attend. But every time the praise music would start, Job would fall down and become unconscious. And so the staff and the pastors and leaders would gather around him and start ordering, like, who, who, who or whatever inhabits the soul of this guy Job um, needs to, uh, that that's outside of God's will, would leave immediately, and, that he, and then he would regain consciousness. And those revival nights were his nights to be liberated, and he decided to renounce the devil and accept Christ, and everything was gone. He became a new person through Christ. And in December, he insisted he wanted to be baptized, and so he sang with young men from the orphanage who accepted him as their new brother in Christ. And he's the latest employee of GVCM uh, in charge of maintenance. Right? He wanted to get out there, get, get the, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. I want freedom in Christ. But, but here, here's us. We like to keep our sins quiet and hidden. <laughs> and if confessed, we barely mentioned it under our breath to Jesus or maybe in a journal. But tell Job, this guy from, from Haiti, how, how it works to keep these burdens to yourself. And think of the power of public confession. It almost never happens. Corrections uh, in news are buried on the page 20 of the article of a new article institutions only confess what the prosecution has evidence for and then as quietly as possible let's do a deal no one wants to come clean and be healed right why why even the church as an institution has done a poor job of confessing we have lots of examples of that we have lawyers to maintain the guarded public announcements and, but how good is it to come clean just come clean what? So here's a question. Why are we content to keep our sins hidden? And what's the cost of that? You know, Satan, the enemy of our soul, loves the deeds done in darkness. But confessing it brings it to light. We think hiding our sin will work and keep us looking good. And we fear that we're the only ones who have thought these things or done these things. I know this is my story. I kept things hidden for so long because... No one could possibly ever understand. No one has ever thought and done the kind of things I've done. Never, no, no. And Satan loves to keep us stuck there. Public confessions, amazing. Now think of this. Here's another image for you. Um, that washing sponge in your, for your dishes. It got left at the bottom of the sink. In the soggy, dirty sink with Thanksgiving dishes piled on top of it and all the food for a year. <laughs> it's like that. Our sins fester and stink and change the atmosphere around us, don't they? But number four, it's not just the public confession of sin. We confess our own sin. Lord, 
I just would like to come here and confess the sins of my friend here. He's the worst. You know him. And we're here to burn his books that I found in his library because we want to cleanse him of his impurity. No, 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 no. We confess our own sins. Here's a, this is pretty important. The scrolls that were burned were not from the library in Ephesus, taken in a night, you know, a raid at night. This was willing exposure of their own complicity in dark powers. We give it up to you. If I have, and we just verbally, we just confess, if I have made any tie-in, any agreements with the enemy of my soul, I break them now. Email me. I could tell you how to do this in a, in a process. But if you've made agreements with the enemy of your soul, you listen to the liar and said, yeah, you're probably right. You've got to break those agreements publicly. I do not believe that anymore. In the name of Jesus, I confess those are wrong. Those are lies. That is untruth. Because we've talked about this before, but the curse of sin, it, it, it corrupts and destroys us and those around us. It turns us inward to self and downward away from God. And when I focus on self-preservation, self-promotion, self-indulgence, I miss the kingdom altogether. Right? We've said this, but sin takes you further than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and costs you far more than you wanted to pay. And it changes the atmosphere around you, like that sponge in the sink, right? But think about the blessing of repentance. Think about it for Job. Think about it uh, for us as well. It's, it's just amazing. When we repent and die to our old self or baptized, our hearts are turned outward toward others and upward toward God. What a blessing. You ever pray for that? Give me the blessing of repentance. Give me, I, I don't want to keep turning toward these things that, that say they're going to satisfy. It's false. It's false. Number five, God brings the power. Let's just close with this. God is the one who brings the power. Why? Because he has all authority. This passage says, the word of God grew and was strong in accordance with the power of the Lord, strength and power. You might remember Ephesians 1.19, the prayer that you may know the surpassing greatness of his energy upon those who believe, according to the working of the strength of his power. Or Ephesians 3.16, that we pray that God may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, that you may be strengthened with all energy through his spirit. And 3.20 to him who has the capability to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the energy that is working in us. Right? This, is, this is Ephesus, power town. And here is Paul saying in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 10, be energetic in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Church, in closing, I just commend to you this thought. Let us humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift us up in due time. It's in God, in Jesus' name alone, where authority resides.